Welcome to our new podcast series. In our first episode, we talk with the everyday chef Luke Sutherland from Perth, Australia. Luke is a 20 plus year veteran of the restaurant industry turned entrepreneur. After being laid off from his restaurant job during the COVID-19 lockdown, he decided to make a major career pivot and become his own boss. In March, he and his business partner, a front of house coworker who was also laid off, launched The Butler and the Chef, a company designed to bring the experience of fine dining into the age of social distancing. They currently offer intimate dinner parties and small events throughout Perth and Western Australia. In this episode, we chat about the transition from chef to self-employment, the challenges that come with paying yourself a fair rate, finding your motivation, and how being ready is a myth. We also dive deep into issues like mindset, self-worth, and depression in cooks, food sustainability, eating local, and social responsibility, truly embracing your authenticity and finding your culinary voice, taking control of your free time and setting boundaries with work, and what the new normal might look like for the restaurant and hospitality industry. Luke is an absolute powerhouse of inspiration, and we hope you enjoy listening to this chat as much as we enjoyed having it. I'm your host, Heather Fair, and this is The Restaurant Reset with Luke Sutherland, recorded on July 17th, 2020. I'm Chef Luke Sutherland, um, been living in uh, Australia my whole life. Uh, started off in a little place called McLaren Vale, which is very well renowned for its uh, amazing red wine and um, good food. Um, I then made my way up to the Kimberley region, which is a really, really amazing part of the world. Um, there's just uh, the nature up there is insane, but also the food scene, um, especially dealing with uh, sort of native Australian bush uh, products has really opened my eyes to how we can kind of um, introduce that more into restaurants and um, make it a bit more of a, uh, a landmark. Awesome. So. We're going to start with a little bit of a background, like a get to know who we're talking to and what you stand for and kind of things like that. So what initially drew you to the restaurant industry? I think um, there's, a, there's a part of uh, growing up in a region where food is quite affluent anyway. Um, but I think the, the main sort of drive, which I'm sure a lot of chefs do find, is that I wasn't very good at school. Um, it was from a very young age where I, uh, I realised that uh, a formal education was something that really wasn't resounding with me. Um, so I, uh, at the ripe old age of uh, 14, decided to leave school and um, the, the passion that I had for creativity and I knew that I was going to end up in either music or uh, art or something involving sort of a passion of creativity. Um, and I think a little bit of not sort of fitting into the, the mainstream is where a lot of chefs I find uh, find themselves drawn to food. I feel like uh, chefs in general are a bit of a band of misfits. Um, we sort of uh, stick out from the from the uh, the norm, and um, I think that's that's how I sort of found myself uh, drawn to hospitality. Fourteen. That's crazy young. Um, what yeah. was your life? What was your life like at that time? Like, was it kind of chaotic and unpredictable? Were you like lost at all, or was it like a clear direction of like this is what I want to be doing, or did it, did you just kind of like find it? I, I think at the age of fourteen, you don't really know what you want to do in life. <laughs> but <laughs> it's true, uh, I, it's true. Except in yeah. very rare circumstances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think there's definitely something that. Uh, drew me and uh, I knew that there was definitely something that I um, was drawn to about food and and seeing the look on people's faces when you cook something and they they sit down and they're in awe of uh, you know just I, I think food is something that is very primal to humans we we're drawn around food because it brings people together and I think that togetherness is what I love seeing is you know creating experiences where you know it basically gets everybody out of the rush of life and, and brings us together for that half an hour moment where we sit down and actually talk and eat and, you know, spend time together. I think that's, that's a, pivotable, a pivotal thing that, um, for me, is um, the reason why I'm in hospitality. That's awesome. And I think that's, like, so relatable to so many people, too. And also, I think you touched on the, 
the other aspect of food that not many people openly talk about, but is very prevalent is that instant gratification, you know, when you yeah. make something and then like, you don't have to wait until you're dead for 50 years to be recognized for your art. Like you put the plate of food on the table and it's like, you know, if somebody likes it or not. And if, you, if they don't like it, like you can find ways to adapt and adjust in the moment. And so it's like, you get feedback almost instantly, which I think is like a really big draw for people. I know creatively it was for me too. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think if you take a look at social media and uh, platforms like that, what is the, the one thing that is probably the, on the top of the list of all photographed uh, Instagram profiles and, and, and things from influencers? It's all food. Food is like up there with, you know, fashion and everything like that. So yep. I think it's definitely that instant gratification, which you're talking about. Totally, totally. Uh, when you started cooking, like, where did you think you'd be in 10 years? Did you have I any honestly, idea? <laughs> I have no idea. Like, my, my journey as a chef has, uh, I, I suppose, like a lot of chefs, has gone from, you know, relative highs <laughs> to pretty depressing lows. Um, you know, <laughs> you kind of, uh, the, the, the first 10 years of my cooking experience was, I suppose it was, I, I would like to call it the awkward phase of hospitality in the late 90s where we, <laughs> we kind of just kind of lost a little bit of direction with um, uh, the way that food is uh, presented, the way that the flavours are put together. We were stuck in the East meets West kind of uh, awkward phase of <laughs> trying oh <my> to <laughs> mix flavours together and it, it is definitely everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that the biggest thing is I, I find that the the industry, I feel, and get, tell me if I'm wrong, but fashion has a way of, you know, being amazing in the moment and everybody thinks, oh, wow, you know, look at those clothes, you know, remember what we were wearing in the 90s. But <laughs> I think the same kind of relates to food in a way, but we kind of, it's hard to say, we, I, I honestly think that the food that we're putting out now is so much more refined and thoughtful. And um, we, we re have really come to a point where we're uh, taking consideration of sustainability and, um, you know, just the care of what we put on a plate. Is it, is it having an impact on, um, you know, the future generations to come? So I think that in that regard, yeah, my sorry, I'm sort of deviating, but as far as that relates to my my past, I um, there was an awkward phase of my past where I really had no direction, and I felt you know that, and I probably didn't have a lot of um, real mentors of hospitality in my life to sort of raise me up. Um, it was only uh, probably six years ago when I actually made the move to the Kimberley region where I felt like my I had cemented, I'd found myself as a chef and I was happy for people to call me chef because I felt like I'd just developed to that next level. You found your voice. No, I feel you on that. Like it took me probably like 10, 11 years in the culinary field before I feel like I found my voice because there was definitely that time where it was like, all right, well, what's popular right now? What am I going to put on my menus? And you kind of like cater to what's going on. And and then eventually you're just like, I hate all of this. I just want to make food that I like and then attract the people who also think that what I'm doing is cool. And I think that's like a, a very pivotal point in the life of a chef, like the career trajectory in general. So it's cool to hear that you've found your voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I sort of during the past, I, I sort of feel like I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have that sort of side of uh, my my career where I, you know, was just bumbling through and struggling and sort of trying to learn on my, off my own back and, you know, seeing all the, you know, the amazing uh, chefs out there that, you know, had an influence externally to me, but feeling like I could never sort of reach that um, kind of point. And I'm still, you know, I'll never stop learning and never stop growing. You know, that's the, the death of a chef is when they think they've made it. Oh. Is it, I think it was Fernand Point that says it like in cooking as in life, you're a student your entire life or something like that. There's like a very exactly. famous quote by him, but it's like, you are literally never done learning. And if you think you are, that's how you know that you should just move on to something else because you've taken what you're going to take and there's no room for you to go. And honestly, I think growing is the most fun part of being a chef because there's so much to learn. 
And yeah. for me personally, it's like, I love traveling because I get to discover like every time I go there, it's like, I'm opening my world to an entirely new pantry. And it's like, just when yeah. I think I've mastered all of these ingredients, it's like, all right, what the hell is this? Like, I've never seen this before. And then you get to learn all about the history and how it became popular. And, you know, it's just, there's so many different ways to acquire knowledge in this industry. And I think it can keep you a forever student if you let it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think the fact of, uh, post-COVID travel around the world and being able to kind of uh, have, uh, you know, the the world is growing smaller as far as the accessibility for us to be able to use new ingredients and new ingredients are still being found and the flavours that are being put together are, you know, just, uh, I think, becoming more accessible um, in today's age than they ever have been. So I think that sort of leads to being able to keep on learning and keep on growing as a chef. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so in your tenure of cooking, what's been the most difficult challenge, the, the most difficult challenge that you've faced in your career so far? Um, look, I, I think the, the de- definitely the, the mental side of being a chef um, and how that plays a part in your, your growth as a chef, your, your, your mental status and always being out, uh, having to keep in check where you're at because it, the the hospitality industry is so full on and it just never stops that if you don't sort of stop yourself and take stock, I feel like you can easily get swallowed. And I had oh. some times as a chef where, you know, I, I didn't realise it, but I was probably clinically depressed <laughs> just with, you know, not seeing family, missing out on birthdays, Christmases, everything like that. It's, you know, you're told it's drilled into you that from a young age that that's just a part of hospitality. That's what you have to do. But nobody sort of really teaches you how to get through it and, you know, become, you know, uh, aware of things before it gets too late. And that's when, you know, chefs do sort of uh, get to a point of possibly, you know, struggling with uh, alcoholism, drug dependency. Uh, depression, um, using things to try and mask the the uh, the pain of sort of just being involved in an industry that is like it is. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with that, and I think that's way more common than people realize. And it's just like the industry tells you that it's like this unwritten law in the industry where it's like if you don't work a hundred hours a week, you're not good enough, and you will never make it as a chef. And it's like, yes. you are a hack, you are, you know, subhuman if you don't do this. And so I think a lot of people take on that mindset of like, oh, I have to do this. Otherwise, no one will respect me. But then like they forget to respect themselves in the process because they're so worried about yeah. gaining the respect of their peers and the people in their industry. And it just like it spirals out of control so easily. And I know like I've seen it hundreds of times in my career. Like I've known so many people who have just like you think that they're at the top of their game, the top of their game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you hear about the committed suicide and you're like, what yeah. the hell? Sure. It's like they just happen? reach that breaking point and you're just like, how do we get this far? Like, how do we allow this to happen in our industry? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a, um, it's an amazing subject that I think, um, needs to be talked about more, but I, I've sort of gone into sort of depth, um, about this subject with a few people. Um, I, I actually posted it the other week on my socials a photo of myself and I said um, along the lines of how do you think um, uh, COVID has changed the, the, the mentality of chefs and their working hours and um, we basically had a whole industry of people that have worked so solidly from 70 to sort of 90 hours a week, or even if it's less, it's still a lot of, lot of time spent to all of a sudden in the space of no time stopping and not doing anything. You know, the shutdowns has had a huge impact on the mentality of a chef. And so I put this post up and I said, how has, how has COVID changed your view on hospitality and um, the time spent that you, you know, uh, just say you get, you work 70 hours a week and get paid for 40 as a salary uh, staff member. How has this changed your um, perception on, you know, life versus working in the kitchen? And it, 
it ended up getting uh, 110,000 views and uh, like I woke up and there's 480 <laughs> comments on my phone and I'm like, whoa, wait, hang on a second. And That's everybody found was you. Just, yeah, it just blew up. And I was just like, wow, this is such an important issue. And everyone was saying, you know, it's changed my mind. It's, you know, I'm now thinking about life as, as, you know, life's too short to be doing this. And then the whole being paid what we're worth, you know, we, we need to hold a, a, a bit of um, honour about actually being paid for what we're worth. And I think that the, a lot of chefs really have a lack of self-worth because they think that they're not worth enough if, they, if they're not working 90 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hang on a sec, you've spent four years of your life to um, basically uh, do the grind to get a trade that is a, a trade as a qualification. It's a skill. And if you're in any other industry, like a plumber or a carpenter or, you know, anything like that, if you work out overtime, you get paid for that because you're worth it. So where's, where did this mentality come from that free working and working above the hours that you're actually paid to do is, is honorable. It's, it's not, it's, it's taking, it's lacking your uh, self-worth as a chef. No, I totally, totally agree. And it's like, there's a a post we wrote like a month or two ago called Kitchen Hypnosis. And it basically talks about the mindset of how the industry kind of like breaks you down systematically over a period of time and convinces you that you're not good enough. And you're never good enough in the restaurant industry, you know, and I think that does a lot more harm to people than anybody really wants to talk about. And I know there's going to be people that watch this and they'll be like, oh, a bunch of snowflakes bitching about the industry. It's like, no, we're just standing up for like basic human rights, basic decency, treatment, fair pay, like things that every other industry seems to have except ours. But we think that just because that's the way it's always been, that means that's the way it always has to be. But it's not, you know, like it's not at all. The only reason it's going to be like this in the future is if we allow it to be like this in the future. And so what we're really interested in is promoting an example of how it could not be like that, you know? Yeah. Like how, what does that look like? What do boundaries look like? What does work-life balance look like? How do you talk to your employers about getting a time, like a day off? every now and then. I know that's like sacrilege to say, but like it's doing a lot of good for people in this time to have some time to clear your head to think. And I know um, a couple years ago, I went through my own unintentional lockdown where my life kind of fell apart and (laughs) like everything that could go wrong went wrong in a span of six weeks. And I, that culminated with like a car accident right before New Year's Eve. And then I had to like quit, quit the job that I had And so for the first time in 15 years, I found myself with no car and no job to get to and literally nothing to do. And I lost my mind for like a week and a half. I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to not be busy. (laughs) And it, it ended up being the best thing to ever happen to me because it allowed me to actually have the time and the space to look in my head and fix the problems that I was ignoring because I didn't have the time, you know, and Now, ironically, since I did that, my life has kind of unfolded in a completely different direction. And it's no longer like, oh, how do I make the time for that? It's like, it's very easy for me to like schedule my life now because I understand where my priorities are. And I understand the effect of what not honoring those priorities will actually do in my life. And so I I hope that that's like what's happening right now with a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people that are struggling and they're feeling purposeless and lost and struggling with their addictions coming back because they just don't have anything else to do or, you know. Yeah, well, like the old saying goes, the uh, idle hands of the devil's playground. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I, I did um, read a study uh, a couple of months back before COVID about some uh, very affluent restaurants in uh, Scandinavia, sort of like Finland um, and Sweden, and what they're actually doing was that they were implementing four-day working week for restaurant chefs. And what they were finding is that they were getting more productivity out of the chef. The chefs were in a fresher mood. They gave them three days off in a row and still paid them the same. I don't know how it's going to work, but um, 
basically they were finding that the the mental health of the chef was more on board with the vision and the the productivity was up so you know i yeah, I, I believe in hard work and hard graft and I've, I've done, you know, 20, over 20 years of that myself. You know, I'm no stranger to, you know, doing the 75 hour week and, and grinning and bearing it. But by the time it gets to the end of, you know, say, you know, three months of doing that, four months to two years or whatever, you are a tired mess. We're not, you know, the sustainability. And I think this is the big thing is that how can we sustain a culture in an industry where, the the there is no future um uh keeping of these chefs where we use them up and burn them out until they're done and then the young ones come in and do the next lot it's like no the 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 um the average lifespan not lifespan but uh, career span of a chef has gone down from 30 years down to 17 years wow. in the last 10 years that's crazy it's crazy and why is that happening it's like you know i think there is a little bit of an awakening and i think that they there's like you said there's still those hardcore chefs out there that will go oh you know you snowflakes you know you just get up and do it but like you said does it have to be like that yeah i mean it's it's just like the fact that we even have to justify the fact of like oh well you know i've done those 80 90 hour work weeks it's like it's crazy to me now to yeah, think about I, I, that i still it's, 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 like, in, it's in the head it's totally i still in feel your head. like i have to justify it <laughs> it's like cuz you know if you don't there's going to be somebody that's like oh you're not a real chef it's like shut up get a life <laughs> like literally get a life like it will do you so much good to find hobbies outside of the culinary industry and like not yeah. only for your men for like your physical health but for your mental health as well because it gives you a chance to disengage from work and i think that's something that a lot of chefs have a hard time doing is like mentally disengaging from work you know you have nightmares about the ticket printer when you're in your sleep but <laughs> after a long work week and yeah, it's like absolutely. i for years i could not turn it off and no. you know it's like my only friends were industry people my only relationships were people in the industry and like that's literally never a good idea and you know it's like, <laughs> that's dangerous <laughs> and it's like you just get in this little bubble and you kind of forget what the rest of the world is like you forget what living is actually like because you just exist in this low level state of anxiety for so long that you think that that's how life is and it's like it's not it's yeah. so not like that <laughs> no exactly um yeah no i i sort of see that um we we need to be doing what we're doing now and just like i think the more exposure we kind of uh, do by talking about it it sort of just gets the seed planted in people's minds about yeah you know the the worth of a chef and the way that we sort of conduct our our life you know is all dependent on how we can have an influence in changing that that mindset absolutely i think the money conversation is a big one too you know like i i've been self-employed for about seven years now I started a business back awesome. in 2013 and um, yeah, it's like, it's crazy because it's taken me so long to raise my rates enough to actually get paid what I'm worth. Because when I first started, yeah. I was like, Oh, I don't want to charge that much because it's like, I don't, you know, do I deserve that? And it took me yeah. like years before I was actually like making enough money with the parties that I was doing and the clients that I was having before I yeah. was making industry standard rates because there's this like the self-worth thing with money. It's like you don't deserve to get paid what a normal professional with 15 years of hospitality experience in their in or industry in their experience in their industry would be getting yeah. paid. And so even now I'm just like, am I charging too much? I'm like, no, I'm not. No. I deserve this. I've been doing this for a long time. I <laughs> know what so I'm funny. doing. <laughs> I, I had the exact same conversation with my business partner the other day. We were talking <laughs> about the exact fact of how, because um, uh, during COVID uh, we ended up, uh, I lost my job um, or I got stood down. And so uh, my friend and myself, we said, hey, look, um, the restaurants are shut let's let's start a business so we're like That's during great. covid no worries and then we um were able to um have parties of uh, up to 10 people in our houses 
And so we, we just said, hey, look, let's just, uh, let's start a business. So we started a business called The Butler and the Chef. And um, we go around to people's houses and do these like fine dining sort of set menus and degustations and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm like, wow, like this is, this is amazing. And it, we're like doing up the quote and I'm like, we can't charge that. That's, that's, nobody's gonna pay that and, and he's like no do it he's he's like fine with it so we put the quote out we got it accepted and uh, now I'm, I'm starting to feel the this the worth of what we're actually doing is you know we're actually doing something that people are appreciating and they're not faced with the the cost that we're charging because they know that we're worth it Right. It's also, I think it helped. One thing that helped me a lot was to reframe my relationship to money in general and seeing yeah. it as like, just like, oh, I'm getting paid per hour. It's like, no, I'm being paid for the value that I am adding to this person's either day or event or whatever. You know, it's money is an energetic exchange between the people. You know, if they're getting something from you, you should be getting something from them as well because you're oh, putting exactly right. the, And it's like, you're not just doing four hours of on-site preparation and execution. No. You know, you're doing like a week's worth of planning and emailing and prepping and shopping. And that was like, exactly. when I first started, I was like, oh, I guess I'll give myself like 200 bucks for this. And then I ended up working like 35 hours for it. And I'm like, well, that's not gonna work. So gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> revise this one a little bit, but yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. and also like getting to the point where you turn down clients is yeah. was a pivotal step in my own career where it's just like they will you know they haggle you on for instance like your hazard pay if you're doing hazard pay right now and they try and haggle or negotiate that it's like no sorry i'm just not going to take you on as a client and like setting yeah. those boundaries where you stay true to yourself and yeah, exactly you just like don't backslide back into your like learned restaurant habits again yeah <laughs> Um, I, I suppose this sort of brings on to the question that I've had is, so for, for people like you and me who have made the step to start working for ourselves, how can we sort of have an influence on the chefs that are, are in the industry where they're a part of a corporation or a business that dictate how much they get paid? That's a really important conversation because I don't have too much experience in the corporate world, like a little bit, but not to the level of like making it a life path or anything. So yeah. I think it's just gotta be like, as an industry, we have to stop accepting the low wages. You know, I think we yeah. just have to stop taking the jobs that pay, you know, $7 an hour, your minimum wage, but I don't, it's probably a little higher in Australia than it is in the United States. But yeah. <laughs> But I know but that, here that, it's like a huge problem. Stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, like you're doing I, hard labor for minimum wage, even though you have like in a lot of times diplomas or certifications or really good qualifications that in literally any other industry would be getting you like a quality of life wage. And yeah. in the restaurant industry, it's like, eh, I guess we'll give you, you know, a dollar or two more than we pay somebody who's just started out. And it's like, wow, yeah. great. I feel so valued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I see that, you know, the, 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 the hospitality industry in general, they, um, the services that they charge for, say, um, a plate of food is one of the only industries that hasn't sort of inflated to the degree where other industries have. So if, if a, um, another industry had a rate rise or had to pay more, then they put the price of their product up. Whereas, you know, I see that almost like food has had got so much competition that the, the price has come down. And then how are you supposed to be able to, like, um, move the, the pay the, the profits forward if there's no profits to be made? Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think that the um, community in general, you know, will accept, you know, a, a plate rise of $5 per plate for something, especially in this climate. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. I know I've heard a lot of things from restaurants, like just seen articles about restaurants just increasing their prices a little bit due to, you know, uh, shortages of ingredients. And I know in the yeah. United States, there was like, uh, like the meat processing plants were shut, like a couple of them were shut down and there was like supply chain issues. 
And then as a result, the products were more expensive. And then the consumers just totally freaked out, like no understanding yeah. whatsoever. They're like, oh, my pork line should, my pork loin shouldn't be $19. It was $17 <laughs> last week. And it's like, it's just the market, you know, you can't get around can't that. It's like that. if people, if people, te- if people continue to demand cheap food products, it's going to be a cycle of toxicity all around you know i know my, yeah. my partner's family is in agriculture and it's like they're forced to just pay you know cut corners so far and not yeah. have the level of quality that they want to be competitive in that industry it's because nobody's gonna pay more than like a couple cents for raw product yeah and it's like we expect people to be miracle workers when it comes to our food <laughs> Yeah, oh, exactly. And I, I just sort of see it's the sign of the times that, you know, the, uh, another big issue for me is uh, sustainability of um, how we're eating as, as, a, as, a, as humanity, you know, can we keep up the, the demand for the supply of the food that we're actually producing? Absolutely. Um, and how, how is that going to affect the, um, you know, the future of restaurant industry? You know, it's, it's all going to make a, a huge difference if we don't sort of change the way that we possibly eat and um you know before too long we're probably going to see some some of that impact absolutely one thing i've been hugely advocating for in especially my local community is eating local and like supporting yeah. the small farmers and not dealing with the products that are shipped halfway around the globe you know not getting your beef from you know brazil when you live in the united states or you know like for you guys like just eating like shopping from the areas that produce food locally to strengthen the local economy, because as chefs, we really do have a lot more influence than I think a lot of people realize, you know, we're major purchasers. We are major purchasers when it comes to food products in general. And so if we are the voice of that sustainability and we use our platforms to educate our client base and like, this is like, break it down for them. Like, this is why your product, your plate charge has gone up because we are trying yeah. to support our local community from the top, from the bottom up instead of the top down. Cause that literally top down. works. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, I'm actually writing um, in the middle of writing a book at the moment. And uh, one of the chapters is about the food sustainability and um, the future of um, food production. And I sort of stated in there that I believe that in the restaurant industry, we are actually at the top of the, um, the, the discussion or the, the, we, almost dictate uh how fashions then go down for food so if we start you know doing something within the restaurant industry people then take that back home they start cooking that stuff at home Mm -hmm. and then it just sort of flows all the way down to the bottom um and i think that we don't realize how much um influence that we do actually have on food trends and so if we as chefs kind of you know start making a bit of a um, a change in our, in the way that we do food in restaurants, then it will flow flow down to the general population. Absolutely. And I think one of the craziest things for me in my career is when I made the shift to use better products, because at first, like when I first started out, I was just happy to have a client in general, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's like a pretty common thing. It's like, oh my God, somebody's paying me to cook for them. Sweet. And you try and make it like you try and price yourself as competitively as possible at first. And then I started to kind of, as I developed my voice and found my voice with food, I wanted to incorporate that sustainability and more like organic and nutritious foods into the food that I was making. And I started using better quality ingredients and highlighting that on my menus, on my social medias, educating people about why the ingredients that I'm using are special, why, like, why they're intentionally chosen to be in the dish that I put them in. And when I yeah. did that, raising my rates was no problem whatsoever because yeah. people understand why. And so I think there's an element of education that we need to do as well, just to kind of help people wrap their heads around the idea of you know, spending more than 5% of their monthly income on food, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, I think it's, what is it? France, I think is the highest purchaser, like the, the highest, France spends the most on food out of any industrialized nation. Really? Like wow. 40, it's like 40% of their income is food-based. 
in the United States, it's like 70% of it is just housing and existing. So yeah. <laughs> that's insane. Well, that shows you know, they're, they're, biggest focus is has always been around sort of food and I think that's um that I didn't realize that that stat was that high yeah it's something I mean don't quote me on that I, I'll definitely research that later but it's something it's a lot higher than anywhere else and like French yeah. culture dictates that like food is an is a super important part of life and so they yeah. don't mind paying more for having less food and I think yeah. that's also like something that you, the United States could really take a, a few um, pointers from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I, I think Australia definitely kind of um, uh, follows uh, uh, quite a long way behind, but definitely the trends do come uh, directed from uh, the US. And um, I see that the sort of portion sizes of food that we're producing are sort of growing. And it's like, no, we need to cut them back, but use better products. And yeah. You, Right. You probably pay the same amount, but you, you know, you're actually getting quality instead of, uh, you know, more than we actually need. Right. Right. It's just, it's gluttonous. And like, there are some people who are excited to take home leftovers, but like the majority of people who take home leftovers never eat them, you know? No, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you're like, oh great. I got two plates of food out of this. And then one of them goes into the trash and it's like, it's so yeah. wasteful. And also like, I don't know if you've ever worked in catering but the waste in catering is like enough to make you sick. Like there were times yeah. where it's just like, you see like whole beef tenderloins going into the garbage and it's like, what the hell? That's like, insane. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, I saw a, uh, I saw a documentary on Netflix the other day and it was about the, um, the buffets in Las Vegas for how they're oh actually God. looking at, at getting rid of them because they, there was just truckloads and truckloads of waste just going to yeah. the pigs. And the pigs were eating the the waste, but mm -hmm. I just I couldn't. I, it just mind boggled me how how much food was being lost. It's really disgusting. Yeah, it's like one reason why I decided to start my own sort of events and personal chefing company is because the waste just made me sick. And like there were times where I would literally just pack up tins and take them to like a local women's shelter or when yeah. I was living in Los Angeles I would pack up like the to-go tins or in, I'd bring in Ziploc baggies and I just put in like a, a ton of them and then I just take them down to Skid Row and I just like hand them out to people who are like sleeping on a bus stop or something and just wow. give them dinner for the night and it's like people are terrified to do that because I, at least in the U.S. everybody's scared to get sued because somebody gets sick uh -huh. off of food which yeah. is ridiculous because like, I don't know if a lot of people know this. I definitely want to get this message out. If you live in the United States, it's not illegal to donate food. There's a law passed in 1993 by Bill Clinton called the Good Samaritan Act that yeah, says that if I've you donate, if you donate food in good faith with good intentions and you do not, it's, you know, somebody ends up getting sick from it. You are not able to be held liable by that person. So it's yeah. basically like if you donate food, you're not going to go to jail or lose your business license or have your whole life turned around because somebody got, you know, salmonella. Because, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think the more people know about that, I think there's also like a huge opportunity for people to reduce waste in cooking as well. And like for like if, if there was a company that had like catering companies could call up to take their food donations that would yeah. repurpose it and you know it, it would just be like amazing if somebody would take the initiative on that and yeah absolutely or, <laughs> or just uh, you know cutting the head off the snake of like stopping you know this this exorbitant waste of food in the first place absolutely like with oh. the, uh, the the massive buffets and everything and oh my god <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> honestly like well, the first time I went to Las Vegas because I've worked I live in California and I've worked a lot. I've worked in music festivals for a long time and yeah. some of the biggest ones are in Las Vegas. And like, that is unbelievable. The amount of food that gets pushed through those like buffets and you get lost in the casinos there. It's like a labyrinth and it takes you four hours to find your hotel room at the end of the day. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's another universe entirely. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, that idea of, taking only what you need and not having that excess because it's just, it's unnecessary at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do a, a six course degustation at, at people's houses and we buy what we need. We prepare that food. 
the plates come back clean and we go home with maybe two little tubs with leftover of something that we, you know, didn't quite need on the plate. And it's like, wow, this some is sauce or some garnish. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Dude, it's so, so we... satisfying too. When you come back with like no leftovers and you're like, yes, I killed it today. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. But no, look, I, I'm absolutely loving sort of the, the direction that we've taken um, as far as sort of stepping out from the rat race and you know we we have an opportunity now to sort of dictate where we go and you know have a lot more freedom to sort of do the food that we want to do and you know I'm absolutely loving it but um, I think that yeah the, the big questions need to happen to the chefs that are doing the grind still in, in restaurants. And, and I think conversations like this are just more about showing people that it's possible to step out of that. Like, I know when I was working in fine dining, especially like, especially when I was in like Michelin star kitchens, there's this mentality that like, Oh, you're not a real chef. If you work in catering, you're not a real chef. If you work in a, in a hotel, it's like the only real chefs are the ones that work in fine dining. And it's like, yeah. it's ridiculous because there's so many different directions that you can take your career as somebody who cooks professionally. And I think just showing that it's possible to you know, step out of the narrowly limited box that the industry kind of shows you of like, this is what your career is going to be like. And just like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it oh, absolutely. in a hundred and different directions. Yeah. And I've, I've almost felt sometimes I've had more freedom and creativity in a, a cafe that I'm sort of heading up than I do, than I've had in some of the bigger restaurants that mm-hmm. have, all this stuff set, they've got, you know, 15 chefs in the kitchen and you go like that on the plate, you know, or, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of like, it's, it's totally up to the direction that you want to take. And there's, and I think that the mentality shift of not sort of um, looking down on the people that are maybe, you know, not in a fine dining, but they're not in a pub, not in a restaurant and not in a cafe. We're all in the same industry. We're all, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, driving towards the one goal, and that's making people happy through food. Absolutely. Uh, what trends have you noticed since the the lockdown started in March? Okay, so I think um, one thing in particular, which is um, I, I believe going to continue making a big big impact even after COVID uh, sort of subsides eventually, is um, uh, takeaway. The takeaway revolution is uh, not going to stop. Absolutely. You know, we a lot of uh, restaurants and cafes um, really kind of diversified during COVID, and the ones that were able to still trade ended up doing more takeaway than they've ever done in their life. And what they ended up finding from a lot of the places that I've spoken to is that they were able to possibly even sell more food than they did before they had less staff on and they made more money. So it's, it's so like, crazy. Yeah. And even though uh, in Western Australia where I live, um, we have got um, only one case of COVID-19 um, now. Wow. Our, it's crazy. Like we, we did so well through it. They shut all our borders. We did probably about, or there was probably about four weeks of actual lockdown where the, it was only going to essential services or anything like that. Um, and then they res- released their restrictions and we came out of it so well. Yes, we are very isolated, but, um, you know, we everyone was very good with social distancing, everything like that. The supermarkets, 1.5 metres, it was, it was actually really well done. But through that, I think the the... Yeah, uh, coming back to the takeaway revolution, that's something that I think will very much continue to happen even after. Absolutely. And I think it's it's actually pretty cool how some restaurants have been adapting and seeing yeah. like, how do we replicate our in-house dining experience in somebody else's home without our yeah. chefs to put everything out at the exact moment when everything is perfectly cooked and fresh out of the fryer? Like, it's just yeah. a new set of challenges, you know? Exactly. And it's like, one of my favorite quotes is like, we can't change the cards that we're dealt, but we can change the way we play the hand. And right now exactly. it's like the world just got dealt like a really shit deck, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's like, how do you take what you've been dealt and turn it into something that you're proud of, 
that you're excited yeah. by and that's profitable and engaging as well. Cause I think like there's a lot of people who just like think that takeaway has to be just, you know, turkey wraps and potato <laughs> chips and you know, <laughs> like really exactly. boring foods, but it's like, how do you make your, how do you turn your takeaway into an experience that people are going to be talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, the other side of things that is uh, really making an impact, especially in Australia at the moment, is the ready-to-home meals. Um, a lot of restaurants are actually oh, preparing yeah. uh, the base ingredients of meals and send it with a list of instructions in a box and then send it to your house so that people have an opportunity to make pretty well the same sort of quality as what you're getting in the restaurants, but you're doing it yourself in home. Right. That's great. That's an amazing idea, especially because yeah. then it's like that also is helping people with their confidence in cooking as well. Yeah, absolutely. you know, because if you don't have to do all of the chopping yourself, I think that's something that a lot of like people at home who don't cook for a living, they just see as yeah. like a huge hindrance is like, oh, I just have to do so much prep work. I have to do all of this like other stuff to get the one meal on the plate, you know, but if you exactly. give people everything that they need, all of their mise en place ready to go. And then yeah. you just tell them what order to put the ingredients in the pan, then they feel really accomplished. And they, yeah. you know, there's, it's really hard to mess up in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, it just, just like, it creates more of a connection with food. And it also teaches people like how much work actually goes into making the meal that they're eating. So I think exactly. it might give more of an appreciation for food as well, which will make our lives as cooks like a lot easier in the future. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I, I totally agree with that. That's um, definitely a, a good positive having the ability for people in their houses to actually appreciate because um, some people just don't cook at all and that's fine. That's, that mm -hmm. keeps us in a, in a job. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then for the people that do, life is getting so much busier these days that, you know, the ability for taking that half of the the meal prep and the worry and everything like that i think it's a it's a good thing that's awesome um, it also gives you a chance thing, to like highlight other you know to highlight the local purveyors like we were talking about sustainability and shopping local yeah. earlier it's like it gives people an opportunity to actually get to know who the farmers are by putting it directly on the menu card or on the instructions and like yes. you know, highlighting those businesses as you're putting the takeaway out and then it's like you just create this cycle of like helping each other out, raising up all of the other businesses, all the other makers in the community, and just kind of like reinstilling that knowledge in your local community. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Which leads on to the third thing I think I've definitely seen a big change in is uh, the uh, buying local. Um, I think the locally sourced and lo buying local. And I think it's uh, genuinely because of COVID um, has made that uh, mental transition shift because people are thinking a lot more insular and thinking about their communities and thinking about, um, you know, it's, it's made everybody's mind shift inwards to their community. That's basically it. So um, I've seen a lot more of that. Uh, what do you think is one habit that cooks and chefs and restaurant folks in general could adopt right now that would exponentially increase their quality of life? Oh, that's a hard one because you know, I find that the, the mindset of a chef is quite stubborn. So it's, <laughs> it's really hard to try and say there's one thing that, you know, will change. It's like a, the, the magic blue pill that <laughs> you just kind of. I guess we could change that to like, is there something in your own life that has really shifted your own mindset? Like something that's helped you in a very positive way. Oh, absolutely. I think um, I think uh, for a long time I never talked about issues with people. Um, I think that we're coming into a day and age where it's a lot more widely accepted to actually talk about life issues, and especially with uh, from chef to chef. So if you're working in a kitchen with other chefs, then you know you can have that kind of in insular kind of um mindset but you being able to just say hey look i'm really struggling with this can you help me has absolutely changed my life to a point where i've now accepted that i always if i'm in a team with other chefs i always ask them i said hey how are you going are you okay you know yeah. and it's not a 
it's just that it's two two words like three words are you okay it's uh it, it but i've made you know i felt like i've actually made a difference to a few people that i've said actually no i'm not i'm, I'm really struggling and then we go okay no worries let's go you know have a drink and you know chat about it and i think that I, whole like seeing cook seeing your coworkers or your employees as humans is a yeah. big thing that could really help a lot of a lot of people in a lot of very big ways i know in like the only way that i was able to actually implement that in my own life was to first see myself as a human you know yes. and <laughs> give yourself that compassion that attention that level of understanding where you're like hey it's okay that i'm struggling right now it's totally understandable that i'm struggling like this shit is really hard and yeah. giving yourself that compassion makes it a lot easier to give it to other people because i know there's the one thing that i think is fairly pervasive in the industry no matter where you are in the world is that cooks are really not treated like humans you know they're treated like workers they're treated like objects and it's like when the object doesn't show up to do the job then the the you know the whip gets cracked and everybody like all hell breaks loose and it's like it shouldn't be like that like your cooks are people <laughs> they have <laughs> lives they have issues that they're dealing with outside of work and i think there should be a level of leniency that we just see each other as humans that are flawed that sometimes like we don't have our shit together and that's totally fine but it's not going to yeah. be like that forever and if you address it when it comes up it's going to make it so much easier in the long run for Absolutely. everybody <laughs> I, I i sort of likened uh, the the chefing industry to the band of misfits and I, I really feel like as that sort of you know the sort of the army boys that come together that from all walks of life that you know we're in the trench together and um i think that you know almost viewing it as sort of your your work family um you you when it's family you look after each other more so you have to you know make sure that everyone is on the same page and um if someone's down you pick them up you know that's the mentality that you really need to have absolutely and i think there's like this everybody says restaurant family but very few actually implement that you know yes like they call the restaurant oh it's like my restaurant family but they don't actually treat each other like family so it's like if we're going to call each other family let's collectively start acting like it let's yeah. give a shit when somebody says they're struggling until instead of telling them to like oh suck it up buttercup like no just have a human conversation with the person if you can tell that they're not okay and step out of your ego enough to like see somebody else as a human being and i think that that would be a super powerful shift that the industry could make <laughs> Yeah, oh absolutely. No, definitely agree. Um what do you think is like what do you think are some of the biggest barriers to actually implementing some like more positive changes like mindset and working conditions and pay and etc. Um I well, I think the the barriers that we come across is um definitely probably the the pay aspects. Um I think that I I I don't actually think that the pay in sort of Australia is that bad. I'm going to get some flack for that, but like, you know, <laughs> on, on par with uh, other industries. Yeah. Look, if you, if you're on casual getting paid a wage, it is actually quite on par. Um, the, the, the times that I think the barriers are when you go into salary and then you're paid for 40, uh, 38 hours a week. And then that's when it kicks in, especially for the more senior staff to, and then it splits into two sections. So I believe that the employer, the employers do tend to have a bit of a, well, you're on salary. So, you know, we need this, 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 and this done. But then the other side is the chef's mind going, I'm not worth it if I don't do that much. And because I don't have any, uh, like hour restrictions, I'm just going to keep on working. And you know, that, that, the that people pleasing, the people pleasing. Absolutely. And it comes to, <laughs> The fact that you're not good enough because you're not working you know your ass off and it's almost like you wear it as a, a badge on your shoulder on your chest that um really means nothing right and i think i think one way that i've started to deal with this in my own life is stipulating this in my initial contract with people is like saying like okay here's my rate for this many hours if it goes beyond these amount of hours i will be paid x amount extra 
and just kind of like asserting that boundary from the very beginning so that everybody knows where you stand and actually holding yourself accountable and following through with it. I know I had like a yeah. really difficult client last year where they, you know, she was just asking me to stay like so much and she was not paying me. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just not going to show up until you pay me because this is not how this works. You know, <laughs> if nah. you're going to be an example, you have to kind of like walk the talk and actually follow through with the things that follow through with the promises that you make to yourself. Yeah. Which I uh, think 100%. is a really big thing, especially if you go into the world of being self-employed. But anyway, like even in restaurants, even if you're working at somebody else's restaurants, like respect yourself and then other people will respect you. But if you continually yeah. disrespect yourself, then people are going to walk all over you. You know, you're going to get stuck in these toxic jobs with these toxic bosses and your cycle will continue until you choose to break it for yourself. Yeah, 100%. And I, I sort of, I felt that uh, in myself quite a few years ago where I, I didn't like people calling me chef. And, mm -hmm. you know, in, I was in the kitchen and I'd, I'd be like, oh, my name's Luke, not chef. And, and I think in myself, like it was me not giving myself the respect that I, I had earned. And I, I turned, I just got an epiphany one day and I went, no, I, I actually do value myself and I do value the time I've put into being a chef. So I said to everybody, okay, everybody, like now it's time you call me chef. And then within that sort of period, it was amazing just to see the, the level of respect that everybody sort of gave me without me doing anything. But it was just that mindset change. Absolutely. No, mindset, I think, is so huge because it's a chef isn't something that you do. You know, it's something that you become over time. And it's like you don't just like magically get a hat and a coat and you're like, I'm a chef now. It's like, no, you like you don't become a chef until you feel like you're a chef. And I think yeah, that's something that's like it's so funny because it was just yeah. that, that change in um, my head. I just went, oh, actually. <laughs> I, I do deserve it. <laughs> like I'm doing all of the things that a chef does. I guess maybe I can call myself a chef now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I always see these debates on uh, social media about, oh my you know, God. who is a chef and who's <laughs> a cook and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh my God, guys, seriously. <laughs> Get a know, life. Yeah, yeah there's, there's more difficult things to be uh, debating about. But, I, but it obviously shows that it is an issue. People feel like, you know, that this is a, a big thing is that who makes a chef and you know is it because of your um uh, over here we do an apprenticeship for four years and you go to TAFE or a, a, a learning school and you do you know your modules and then you get a certificate at the end and I think that sort of dictates on paper here what becomes a, what what it means to be a chef right. and what it means to be a cook but at the end of the day I think you know I think it was um uh, who was it? Marcus Waring, possibly. Um, he said that at the end of the day, we're all cooks. Yeah, we cook food. Exactly. <laughs> like, don't get stuck with the whole um, mind, like you know, mentality of you know what it makes to be a chef because it can become quite arrogant. Sometimes being a chef downright sucks because you stop cooking and just do paperwork forever. And so, oh, <laughs> yeah, like chasing that title, I think, is something that not many people realize. Like sometimes ends in a lot of disappointment when you finally get there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so what do you think, uh, so if you look at your own career, like what are some of, like what's the biggest lesson that working in the restaurant and hospitality industry has taught you? Um, the biggest lesson I've learned in hospitality. I think that sort of comes down to, um, I think being kind to myself is one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn and, and don't, don't take the weight of the world on my shoulders. Um, okay. It's, it's very easy, you know, especially more in the earlier days of, um, you know, the, the, the work in the grind and sort of trying to make a, you know, make a career for yourself. I, I found that I, I let it get on top of me and I, I, I feel like sort of trying to, live up to the Joneses and, you know, trying to um, be the best that I can. I, I, I just got to a point where I said, no, I'm just going to be myself and I'm just going to work to my means, keep on learning, but don't take the weight, weight of the world on your shoulders because you're only going to, you know, get yourself 
uh, you know, stuff up in your head, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's awesome. And it, one thing you were saying about like just being yourself and it's like one of those weird realizations that I had that kind of like annoyed the shit out of me when I had it was <laughs> that it was like, when you try to please other people, it comes across like people can tell, you know, but yeah. when you're just doing something for you, that's when you start to attract people who actually get what you're doing and then they start to think it's cool but if you're doing things to try and like show people that this is cool like it's never gonna work out it's not it doesn't (laughs) like you might get your 15 minutes of fame but you'll crash and burn so fast (laughs) yeah exactly look i i I think it was when i realized that point that um i just didn't have to uh try and people please is that um it was quite a big moment i just went okay and then from that i ended up feeling like so free to actually do what I want and I wasn't afraid of what people thought of me so I started up the um the the social media stuff I I branded myself as the everyday chef and um I started writing a book and started putting myself out there on social media because I wasn't afraid of what people would think Mm -hmm. you know it's just uh, I I ended up exploding um just on my own self um self-worth and self um exploration that i wouldn't have ever thought about it before that time you become a lot more authentic when you do that yeah and i I even started doing videos on uh you know these issues you know i did a bit of a series on um uh what it means to be a chef um the problems with alcoholism and chefing um and then one you know, on a couple of other issues. And I was like, because it's very not like me to put myself out there and be on video and stuff like that. Just terrifying at first. Like yes, straight terrifying. Up terrifying. But, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there for like 10 hours editing a video of myself going, what am I doing? And then I push the, <laughs> the send button and it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> and, uh, but then the feedback that comes back is like, yeah, right. You know, you're, uh, you're on the right page. It's a, it's, it's a very liberating thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I know like this year in particular for my career has been like huge um, just because I was on a Netflix show a couple months ago and it's about like, cooking with cannabis. And it's like, yeah. I, you know, the, the, the episode theme was like the future of food and they were expecting molecular gastronomy. And I did yeah. not go in that direction whatsoever because to me, like thinking about how I'm seeing the trends, what I'm seeing in the industry and in the food industry in general, like that's, 10 years ago, you know? (laughs) And so I went in like a completely different direction and like they, it was very unexpected, but it ended up totally working in my favor. And the people that have that have reached out to me since then are all exactly the kind of people that I want to be talking to, you know, it's like they saw me for me and I don't have to pretend, you know, like everybody knows, like, I'm kind of a nut and like, that's cool. Like that's, that's me. I don't have to like wear that mask anymore. And it's so liberating to kind of just break out of the the box that you've put yourself in the identity box, you know? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And the things that we're the most terrified of are the things that actually end up being the most beneficial to our life in general. Absolutely. And then that is this sort of uh, direction that has, uh, that I've gone on that put me in front of you today because yeah. I wouldn't have uh, had the, the the guts to be able to just push the push the button and and put that photo of myself out there. Yeah, and um, you know it's it's amazing the sort of uh, the opportunities that open up when you actually do put yourself out there. Absolutely, yeah, and it's like you always like fear the worst. I think that's the cook mindset is like when you're in restaurants, especially. This is something I've been thinking a lot about you're kind of systematically trained to look for what's wrong over and over and over again. And you don't realize like you have to find ways of turning that off when you're not in the kitchen, because if you don't turn that off, it will, it will mess up your life. Like it's out there, but it will definitely (laughs) take you down a rabbit hole of negativity that will be nearly impossible to get out of and it's like that's where I found myself a couple years ago is just always looking for what was wrong and never even recognizing the things that were right the things that were good in my life and it's like I didn't just look for it in the kitchen I looked for it in the people that I was dating or my friends that I had or the social circle that I was in or my you know 
my life in general, I just always looked for what was wrong. And it's like, it's this crazy, like you don't realize when it's happening, but then all of a sudden you find yourself in it and you're like, oh God, <laughs> there's nothing good in the world. It's like, no, you just literally forgotten how to actually see, see the, the things that are good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, no, that's really good. Um, all right. So we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this up because we're hitting right around the hour mark here and I don't want to keep people yeah. for too long. But if you could travel back in time, and sit down and have a conversation with your 14 year old self right before you got into restaurants, what advice would you give yourself or would you give to anyone Run else? Run away. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, look, just, um, I would tell, tell myself just to, it'll be all right. Just to keep on, keep on trucking because there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> That's great. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be anything complicated. It's just Dude, it really does. Like as bad as it seems right now, like it's not gonna be like it forever. Like you will get out of whatever situation that you're in. And I think that's super important to just continually remind people of. So thank you for sharing that. No, that's okay. It's all good. Um, do you have any social media that you'd like to plug? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you wanna uh, check us out, um, my um, Instagram and Facebook is under Luke Sutherland uh, or Chef Sutherland on Instagram. Uh, that's S-U-T-H-E-R-L-A-N-D. And um, I'm classed as the Everyday Chef. Uh, and then the business that we've got is called The Butler and the Chef. Uh, so if you look us up on uh, the socials as well. So no, thanks for the blog. Amazing. Yeah, I hope that, you know, this, this leads to people figuring out who you are and it's because you you definitely have your head in a good spot and I think you're going to be a, a future food leader and I think that's awesome that we had this conversation today. Oh thank you so much and as to yeah. you as well it's really amazing to talk to, to you know, someone that's such on the on the forefront of um, these issues as well. I think it's um, so important to be able to talk uh, about this in an open discussion and not feel like we're going to be persecuted by the ones that are going to call us snowflakes. <laughs> Right, because at the same time, like, also one thing I think I'd like to just kind of plug to everybody is nobody else's opinion matters except your own. You know, like, if yeah. you think that what you're doing is cool, keep doing it. Like, don't worry what these people are saying, because anybody who, anybody who judges your life does not have their own in order. Because people Absolutely. who have their house in order don't care what you're doing as long as you're happy. So... <laughs> Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Awesome. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day and thanks again for taking time out of your day to talk to us. No worries. And you too. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure to give Luke some love on social media. Links to his pages are in the description box below. Do you have a story to tell? Do you know someone who would make a great guest? We are looking for current or former chefs from all over the globe to talk to about the real issues we face in this industry. If you'd like to be featured, please send us an email at ConsciousChefs at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help us reach a wider audience by liking, commenting, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or sharing this in an industry forum or with a friend. Welcome to the Restaurant Revolution. Revolution.